The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans 5. Now, as you're uh, finding that in your New Testament, it's about a quarter of the way into the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you'll find Romans. We have much to be thankful for, don't we, church? Yeah, we have much to be thankful for in our personal lives, much to be thankful for here as a church. We have many reasons to rejoice. This week alone, we've had good food and good family, good friends, and a great God, and a great salvation. And this morning, as we continue our our, our series that we've been in saying once again, as Psalm 70 verse 4 tells us to do, uh, to say, God is great... Uh, We're going to see these things come together as uh, Psalm 70 verse 4 says, Let uh, those who love your salvation say continually, God is great. And Romans 5, these first 11 verses, highlight this connection between loving our salvation and God's greatness and the joy that results from being declared right with God. Or our justification and I'll tell you what, in our, in our day when, when things are rapidly changing, when in the court of public opinion, those opinions differ depending upon the day, we need something more sure, don't we? Something more fixed, something far greater in which to find joy. Romans 5 will teach us that thankfully, thankfully our status in heaven does not change. Thankfully, when the Father in His heavenly courts declares us righteous, or to use this biblical term, when He justifies us in this legal sense, there is no possible reversal of His proclamation. And this church is reason to rejoice, is it not? And we are secure today, and we have these reasons in which to rejoice. And so, if we're to sum up the, uh, the heart of Romans 5, if you're taking notes here, we'll just, uh, I'll give it to you uh, up front, and then we'll read it now. But if we were to sum up our text, we could say it like this. There is great joy in being declared right with God. The greatest of joys, actually the greatest of all earthly joys, and being declared right with God. And so, uh, as you write that down, hopefully you found Romans 5. I want to read our text for us this morning, and then we will see closer why we can say that. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. Follow along in your Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word for God's people. Of this text that I just read for you, Martin Luther, the great reformer of 500 years ago or so, he said this, In the whole Bible, there is hardly another chapter which can equal this triumphant text. Now, as I even read this, there's a lot of those big, like, million-dollar Christian words in there, isn't there? Justification, reconciliation, wrath, all, I mean, enough to make uh, even theologians uh, have smoke come out their ears. And yet, in the midst of all of these terms are six reasons for us to rejoice, to find joy in. We've had many this last week, as I've already said, food and family, football games, if you're a team one anyways. But beyond this, we have something more sure here. See, what Paul is doing, as another commentator has said, Paul is helping us enjoy God in this passage. There is a difference between just saying, I'm a Christian, and actually enjoying God. And what Paul does is bring us to these six reasons here. And maybe it's helpful to view this passage and this biblical concept of justification here similar to marriage. Now, there is a legal piece to uh, our, our marriages, isn't there? For we who are married, you understand this, and I think the concept is there for all of us. You have to apply with the county and to get married, don't you? At least you're supposed to, right? Like 30 days before or something like that. There's no uh, Las Vegas weddings here in Texas. You can't just go and get married. And when I officiate a wedding, I have to acknowledge the, the legality of it and then afterwards sign the paper that needs to be filed then with the county and you are then legally uh, declared man and wife before the state, before the, you know, the laws of the great state of Texas and uh, beyond. But marriage isn't just merely a legal status, is it? Marriage is meant to be enjoyed. There's a person which to enjoy, it brings peace and security. You're no longer having to look for potential suitors. There's grace and love that is both given and received. There's a, a person to endure the trials of life with. There is a person, another human being, created in the image of God to learn and to enjoy for the length of your life. There is great joy in being declared husband and wife, is there not? Every husband in here, that is a great opportunity. That was like a softball to say, Amen! I <laughs> mean, hear it, men. There's another person to enjoy life with. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's right. And justification here, when we think of our salvation, then is the legal piece of our salvation. Where in the heavenly courtrooms, God, the Father and Judge, has declared us righteous. Right before God. Not because of what we have done, but because of Christ. But salvation isn't just merely a legal status, is it, church? 
It is meant to be enjoyed. There is great joy in being declared right with God. And Romans 5 brings this out. See, we know how it has happened from a previous text. In Isaiah 53, we know how this was accomplished by Christ and through His sacrificial death. Romans 3 and 4 uh, picks up the theme and teaches us more. But now what Paul is building on, and our text is showing us here, because of that... We have six unchanging reasons to rejoice in our salvation. There are six unchanging reasons by which we enjoy God. And the first is this from verse 1. I have peace with God. Are you justified? Have you been saved by Christ this morning? And here is a glorious truth. You have peace with God. Look at verse 1 here with me. There's a therefore, which we know is a connector word, right? He's connecting us to the previous chapters here in the teaching uh, therein. He says, therefore, because of this, since we have been justified. Past tense. uh, Something that has happened previously. It is sure and guaranteed. And it has happened by faith. We've been justified by faith. And now, let's get this straight here. As just good Bible students, this is not a work. He's not saying because you have faith, then God justifies you. No, faith then, think of it this way, is the conduit by which we receive salvation, or which salvation flows to us. There's been a change here. We are now justified by faith that connects us with what Christ has done. And now we have, look at this, because this is true, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Note this, church. The war between you and God is over. If you are in Christ today, that war between you and God, you are no longer raging against Him, and He is no longer giving you over to your sin. You are now at peace. You are no longer under His wrath. His anger has been turned away from you. He is not up there angry at your sin, but His favor and His blessing are being poured out on us. And so to be clear here, the war between us and God is over, but not necessarily between us and sin. Sin is still present. Sin still remains. The battle against sin will continue on in chapter 6 through 8 in Romans. We'll deal with that. But our position, where we stand in relationship with God, is now one of peace, not of war. So what were the terms of peace? How was this accomplished? Why can we rejoice? Well, it happened, the terms happened through our Lord Jesus Christ. He, we were the ones at war and He set the terms on how we come to the Lord. We come and we have peace with the Lord and in this life through Jesus. And many of us in negotiations, we want to set our own terms, don't we? We want to give some stipulations. We want to negotiate. We'll say, okay, Lord, well, I'll have faith, but you can't ask me to move anywhere. I I will follow you, but I won't give up that habit. I'll follow you, but don't ask me to change the way I talk or think. Or I'll believe in you, Jesus, yes. But I'm not going to discount or I'm not going to throw out that people could be saved by Buddha or Muhammad or through any other religion. See, it does not work this way. There's peace with God through one way, through uh, uh, His terms. There's no negotiating, no addendums, no buts or ands. You accept Christ's terms or you get nothing. You accept Christ's terms and you get everything. This is how we have 
peace with God. The terms are you come through Jesus, His righteousness, and there's no other way in. Through coming to Him, as it even says here in His title, as Lord, we submit to His, uh, his Lordship, as Master over our life. We follow His ways to salvation in that He is our Christ. He was the ransom. This is how we come to have peace with God in this heavenly peace. Our position with the Lord is great reason to rejoice, and with it comes this earthly peace where we, have, we can cease striving. We can stop seeking approval from others. See, with the one whose opinion ultimately matters, we have peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that is forever and eternal, a peace in which we stand right now, a peace which we can rejoice in. But it doesn't stop there. The whole passage is is a crescendo. The whole passage is building here. There's a second reason to rejoice in our justification from verse 2. Not only do we have peace with God, but we also have direct access to God. Look at this. Uh, look at this. There's, there's really only one way. Through Him, speaking of Jesus, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in Him. Now, have you ever been to a party where it required an invite from the host to get in? Like where you had to have it, otherwise they wouldn't let you into the building. Now, I'm not special enough. I've never had this, but I've seen it like in a movie and different things where you can only get in and people are trying to wait to get in and you have to get it. There's guards at the doors collecting invitations. And if you have no invite and there's no entry, you can try to plead with the guard to let you in. You can name drop that you know this person or you've read about him in a magazine or you've... You know, you know other people that are in there. You can try to talk your way in. Well, I deserve to be here. I've done all the great things and... I know other guests at the party. But no matter what type of persuasion you think you have, no matter what you may try to do to get in, it won't get you anywhere. Such is the case to the access that we have with God. The only way in is for Christ to say, He's with me. She's with me. And church, those who've been saved out of our justification, we have this direct access to God. No veil, no sacrifices that we need to do, no works, nothing standing in our way, but Christ coming and presenting us to the Father. And what he says here, the reason we rejoice is we stand here. We, we are firm and fixed. We, we stand here presently, right now. Not something uh, just future to be obtained. We stand here perfectly uh, right now in Christ's righteousness. His justification is, is not a process or it is not partial. It is complete. We stand perfect in Christ. We stand here firmly. Feet planted. Nothing can change. It has been declared and decided. We are secure. But we also stand here humbly knowing that we have not done anything to earn or deserve this access with God, and therefore we stand here joyfully in the presence of God. We have this access, an access that that the psalmists speak often of. An access where where it says, We called and God answers. In the day of my distress, we call and He answers. We cry out and He answers back to us. See, we have access the very ear of God. And Hebrews 4.16 tells us to come boldly 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the certainty of this access, the confidence in which we can come to God, causes us to then erupt in praise. Why? Because there has been a status change. Look what it says here, church. This this is such glorious uh, grace that we've even sung about. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Where once, see, see, make this connection here. The glory of God now is a reason to rejoice. Where uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of what? You know the verse. Fallen short of the glory of God. Now because of our position change and because of what Christ has done, now because we have been declared right with God, we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Where once we fell short, now we rejoice. We have this access now and glory in seeing Him one day face to face. And this brings this certainty of what God has done. That we have this access, that we can come to Him, that He hears us and listens to us, gives us this hope. A hope now, a hope in all things, and a hope in even suffering. For there's a third reason to rejoice here, that we have hope through our pain. We have hope through our pain. And, and as we get into verse 3, you know, uh, like he, he, he just says these two like life-shattering things, things that maybe we take for granted. We're at peace with God, praise the Lord. We have access to God, praise the Lord. But they can come, uh, maybe they, they just kind of lose their luster over time. But to Paul, it's just like building. He's like, not only these things, you're, how could this get any better? Just imagine here like a kid describing something. He's like, yeah, I saw this and I saw this, but not only that, I saw this. Like a kid describing his, his gymnastics gym and, and the, how cool it is when, when, he, when he says, you know what, I've been there, there's these bars that we get to flip around and there's this awesome trampoline that's like 100 feet long and it launches us into the rafters and then with like a grin on his face and a gleam in his eyes, he's like, and not only that but we have this ball pit in which we can fall into. So when we're doing these like scary twists in the air, we can fall safely when we land. Isn't this cool? We read this and we might expect maybe like a, not only that, but we rejoice because life is so put together and super awesome. Nope. It's even better than that. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Sufferings. It's a theme that we've seen already. The greatness of God through our suffering. This passage here we've uh, referred to uh, multiple times through our, our series here. Why? Because rejoicing in suffering is a distinctly Christian reason to rejoice. Apart from Christ, we, we have no hope. Apart from being justified, apart from knowing that God has done the greater work to save us, how can we have any kind of hope when life gets hard? Why? We, but we do. We have the confident uh, assurance that we are saved, and so we have this hope, that confident expectation that there are better days ahead. We have a, a purpose in the pain. We have hope through the pain. And what is the purpose? Well, we know it's producing something. The operating of word here, we rejoice in sufferings knowing that suffering, those or tribulations, the, the pain in which we go through here, the troubles and the anguish, the persecution, the, 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 the times where we are feeling squeezed. That what is being squeezed out of us is for our good. It's producing 
something. It's gaining us something. It is maturing us in some way. And you likely know the chain here of events. The suffering produces this endurance, a perseverance, a staying power, this steadfastness that we as Christians have and need. We are toughened up in the midst of it to withstand the storms of life. And through this, through this endurance, it is then producing in us character. A maturity where we've been tested by fire. An endurance, a maturing here that when we face trials, God is doing something and it is what is bringing out, it is the chief evidence then that we have been justified. That we are no longer, when we are being squeezed, what is not coming out of us is our sinful bitterness. What is not coming out of us is anger. What is not coming out of us is, is, a, is a quit. But rather, when we are being squeezed in the midst of it is a character of grit. And steadfastness. It is hope in Christ. It is, it is, it is a perseverance. And this perseverance that produces this character that then produces this hope in God. And it is a hope that does not put us to shame does not disappoint us. It does not weaken our faith. Rather, it strengthens it. It is not a time in our trials for questioning or cowering. But it is a time where we trust that God is at work, is He not? What did we see through the life of Job? That God is at work behind it all, doing something in us that would blow our mind even if we could understand it all. We react this way. Why can we? Because we stand right with God. Because we have this peace, because we're at to, uh, we have access to Him, because we have purpose in the pain, and we have His Holy Spirit here. Look at this here. Like it does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Don't you love that? Don't you love that uh, that that idea? That that thought here. It's like the Holy Spirit here is being poured into us. We, uh, why, why can we react this way? Why can we have hope? Why, does, why do trials not crush us? They are, are grievous, yes, but why do they not uh, leave us uh, feeling uh, uh, hopeless? It's because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we trust God's Spirit to be at work in us. He is reminding us along the way that He is God. He loves us. And even in the midst of this, He is loving us through it, giving us hope. And it's a hope, church, a hope that is as certain and secure as our justification. It is a hope that is a reason to rejoice. See, this, this is the, the mind-boggling thing for, for, uh, for unbelievers, that how can a Christian, or even, even us, like, how do we rejoice in this? Well, it's because we trust that God is at work. And this is a reason to rejoice that what you are going through today, the trials and the tribulations, the suffering, is not for nothing. But God has a purpose through it all, and in this we can rejoice. Rejoice. But it doesn't stop there, does it? There's the fourth reason. As we walk through this passage here in verse 6 through 8, we are secure in His love. As you write this down, personalize it here. I am secure in His love. If you need a reason to rejoice today, note this, that you are secure in God's love. As we saw last week in John 3, our salvation begins and abides in what? God's love. 
God's love. And here, uh, what, what uh, Paul will say is this is the supreme demonstration of His love as Christ died for us. We're secure in His love. The Holy Spirit applies it to us. Jesus accomplished it. And the Father accepted payment and consequently then accepts us as His children. And this is what he's getting at here in these verses that we love while we were weak, godly. Christ died for us. The Father accepted this. And note this, church, look here. This is the only acceptance that matters. And the whole salvation equation, you often hear like we must accept Jesus into our heart. And I'll just I'll tell you, there's like, that's just not a biblical concept that we just like accept Him here into our hearts. If anything, it is the Holy Spirit who's been poured out into our heart. Not Christ like living up in there and like setting up a tent or a house here. Yes, He comes and dwells among us, but we don't accept Him. It is the Father who accepts us. Why? Because He accepted Christ's payment uh, on our behalf. And knowing where we came from, and knowing that it is based on the Father's acceptance is why we are secure here in His love. For look at how we're described in the verses. This is like we, don't, we don't like thinking about this. Well, we were still, look at what verse 6 says, while we were still weak. We don't like to look weak, do we? We do everything in our ability to look strong. In verse 6, what does it also say? He died for the ungodly. Jump down to verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, apart from God, hating God, or, or raging against Him. And if we jump to verse 10, we'll come to this verse in a minute, but if while we were enemies, that's not a picture that we like to think of ourselves, weak, ungodly, sinful, and, and, and enemies of God, at enmity with Him. Sworn aggressors committed to God's destruction and harm. These were descriptors of us before our justification. Now, we have been declared righteous because of Christ. And as the passage says, Jesus didn't die for like the nice guys, right? He died for the bad guys. At the exact right time in history, He came all according to plan. He died when we didn't deserve it. He died when we had nothing to say that we did anything to earn it. And that's why we're secure in His love, not because it depends upon us, but because it depends on Jesus here. This, but God shows His love. He demonstrates it for us. That He sent Christ to die. He accepted the Son's payment. These but God words here, as we've said often around here, the most redemptive words in the Bible, aren't they? But God, the most certain words in the Bible. But God, the two words which should cause us to rejoice like none other. That should cause us to burst with joy over and over. For when God moves, when God acts, but God, it is as certain and secure as anything in the world. And He accepted this. Christ loves us. The Father has accepted His payment. And in this, what do we do, church? We rejoice. We rejoice, but there's, there's more than this. There's a fifth reason to rejoice. Here's the thing. I will make it to the end. Do you need a reason to rejoice today? Do you feel like giving up? Do you feel like, is this even worth it? Well, verse 9 will tell us, yes, it is. 
Verse 9 actually repeats verse 1 to emphasize the certainty by which it happens. Look at the repetition here. Uh, that, we, that, uh, that, that verse 1, between verse 1 and verse 9. It says, Therefore we have now been justified. And what's the difference there? Look at it. Be good Bible students. Where's the difference? We see the repetition, but what's the difference? In verse 1 it says we've been justified by faith. In verse 9 we've been justified by? By His blood. By His blood. By his blood. So there's a biblical truth here that you runs all throughout the pages of your scripture. It goes something like this. In order for there to be peace, there must be sacrifice. In order for there to be peace, there must be sacrifice. In the Old Testament law, shalom or peace happened through sacrificial system, through the blood of animals. That's how you came. That's how you had these things. That's how you were at peace with God. That's how you had access to God. That's how you, uh, d- uh, how you were in God's grace and love. This is what you did in order for there to be peace, right? To be sacrificed. And marriage and relationships. If you want peace or unity in your marriage, there must be sacrificial love. For if we're demanding of our own way, if we think and insist that we are always right, will there be peace and unity in your marriage? way for there to be peace is for there to be sacrificial love. Laying down your rights, laying down your preferences, admitting when you are wrong and repenting when you have wronged somebody else. And our salvation now, we have peace with God through Christ's blood. A reference to His sacrifice, His atoning death on the cross where we were once mortal enemies, now made eternal friends. As believers, we've been brought from enmity to amnity with God through the cross. This is what he's getting at. Therefore, we have now been justified, saved, declared righteous by his blood. And much more than that, we'll be saved by him from the wrath of God. A repetition of the same uh, uh, first point, that we are now at peace with Him. We are no longer under His wrath. We no longer bear the penalty. We no longer will face the consequences from God for our sin. And it's really a point like we've been touching on every week uh, as we've been in this series, right? The greatness of God to save us from Himself. The point of these verses is, is, is so true. And he's saying, because of this is true... Because we are no longer under His wrath, much more. Do you see that here? Do you see it in verse 9 and in verse 10? He's like, much more. It's like building upon itself. There's, we're, we're coming to a crescendo. He's like, because this is true, because you've been saved and reconciled, much more than that we have a future hope. Look what the end of verse, four, or verse 10 says. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, We've been brought together. We're at peace with God. Shall we be saved by His life? Now, that might be confusing here for us. It could maybe literally be better translated. We are, uh, shall we be being saved by His life? There's a future sense here in which he's speaking of. And so let me untangle some knots here, a little theology lesson for you. When the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, but all across it, uses the word saved, you have to use uh, some, uh, some wisdom here and some discernment as to what aspect of salvation is the writer talking about. Oftentimes, it's speaking of that moment of our new birth, or regeneration. 
It says we're saved. That point where we go from uh, death to life, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, that point in time. What we talked about in John 3 when Jesus says you must be born again. And there's a moment that that happens. For some of you, that's a very specific moment. You have it down to the day, maybe even the hour, minute, and you know when that happened. For others of you, it's maybe a little more foggy. Sometime in this season, I think it was when I was saved, when God... Thankfully, the Lord knows. It's not important, necessarily, that we know that exact moment. But oftentimes, it's saying that. Other times, when he uses the, uh, the term salvation or being saved, it might be referring to the entirety of our salvation, from predestination to glorification and justification and everything in between, our adoption and all the aspects of our salvation. And other times, like in the case here at the end of verse 10, it is referring to the future event when we die and are glorified. That's what he is speaking of here. He is referring to the hope that we have that awaits him much more. We've been reconciled. And so we can know this. We can rejoice in this that we will make it to the end. We'll make it. See, here's, here's the thing. Note this today, church. Like, there's not a point in your life between now and your death that Christ is going to like fall out of love with you. Or he's going to forsake you for another bride. If he has saved you, he put his own life on the line. He brought us to the Father. The Father has accepted you, and there's nothing that will change that. See, the greatness of God's love is forever. Forever, ever. Like, forever, ever. In this we rejoice. Especially when others forsake us. You may know the pain of betrayal. You may know the pain of, of, of being left. You may know the hurt that comes when somebody does fall out of love or forsake you. But today, you've been saved. You are justified. You will make it to the end. Not in your own strength. Not out of your own passion. Not out of your own fervor for Christ. But because of His fervent love for you. Much more, much more, he says. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. But get this, church. doesn't stop there. Like, how, how good can this get, right? Like, I am loved by God. How good? Yeah, see, there's another much more than that in verse 11. The passage, like I said, is building. And there's a final reason we rejoice in our justification. And it is this, because we have joy in Christ. What we just saw, beyond the legal status, beyond the certain benefits of peace and grace and love, we get Christ Himself. More than that, look what it says, we also rejoice in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just plain and simple. Not in the peace, not in the benefits, not in the grace or mercy, but we just simply rejoice in God. And this is the very definition of biblical joy. To be satisfied in Christ. To find all of our treasure, all of our worth. To, to repeat, even as we sang in that song, if we have Christ, we have everything. We have everything. The following Christ isn't just, or being a Christian isn't just merely a legal status, is it? But it's a person whose presence we enjoy. A person 
whom we get to know and love in the same way that we enjoy the presence of our spouse, that we enjoy their love and we enjoy, yes, the things that happen. But what do we, what do we mean by this? How do we enjoy God? Well, we enjoy the work that He's doing in our life. We enjoy His presence. We enjoy the security and love and grace and companionship that comes with our life and the things that we do because we know that Christ is near. And so to think of it this way, uh, just think of how it feels when your spouse goes out of town. Especially if you have a happy marriage and you love being with your husband or wife. When they're out of town, you feel out of sorts, don't you? At least I do. Maybe I'm the only one in here. I feel lonely, like there's something missing. There's no one to share the, the highs of life and the lows of life with. But when you're together, that is where there's security and love and grace and companionship and all the things that bring great joy to our life. More than that, we just rejoice in being with that person, of sharing the moments of life with. And this, in being declared right with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by His blood, we get Him. Of all the reasons in these verses to express our joy and satisfaction, it is this. This is the best part of the Thanksgiving meal. It's Christ Himself, His nearness, and everything that comes with Him. All this accomplished, as he repeats once again, through his reconciliation of us 